cliffcentral.com. We've got lots of things to talk about this morning, but I want to bring in uh, Rail Demby, who we've had on the show uh, once or twice before. He, of course, is the uh, the man behind the South African Gold Coin Exchange and then um, the Scoin Shop, which obviously these are the people who've been so clever and so brilliant and have helped partner with us to to allow all these people in South Africa and the world to share their collections. And this morning, um, while I do want to spend a little bit of time just asking Rail about the, the rules around gold, because I know that's something he knows very well, I just want to talk about the dark side of collecting. And this is this is something I've dun, been... Dun, dun. Well, I, you know, Rail, he just dropped it in at a meeting the other day. He's like, yeah, guys, why don't we talk about the dark side of collecting? So everybody in the meeting went, hmm, and turned to him like this. And he said, yeah, there's, there's a quite a lot that happens in the world that is either, you know, it's the, it's the sort of thing that is completely illegal or it involves people trading and stuff, which is sort of a gray area, you know, historical memorabilia, stuff mm. that's been stolen from museums. You know, I remember when uh, America invaded Iraq and I thought, oh, there's going to be a sudden profusion into the market of ancient Mesopotamian, Persian, Babylonian, Sumerian artifacts, things that really should belong to humanity, but that are now going to be scattered all over the world. And a lot of it will probably end up in the hands of private collectors, which means we'll never be able to trace it again, because as long as it stays in those private collections, how do you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no way to trace it. So, uh, Rail's got some really interesting stories, too, to share with us about the dark side of collecting. And I think it's the perfect opportunity to bring him back in and to uh, find out what these stories are. You're going to love this stuff. Hey, Rail, how's it, man? How are you? What's up? How are you? How's it going? Good. Nice to see you. Um, first of all, yeah, you too. First of all, I've, I've just got to say that um, if people had listened to you the last time you were on the show about gold... Uh, what is the only thing that, that has gone up in value in the, in the economy right now? And, and we're talking about U.S. stock market, local. We're talking about Bitcoin. Uh, if they'd bought some gold from you, Rail, they would be very happy with that, wouldn't they? They would be very happy um, <laughs> or they would be less unhappy. <laughs> Let's put it that way, yeah. Less unhappy that's is the, about right. That's the idea of hedging. <laughs> Uh, when everything else goes up, gold goes down, and it's the the same all the time. The history shows, and uh, yeah, what can I say? We we told you so, and we're going to keep telling you so. Uh, just a little bit of gold when you can, and that's the the, the the plan. Yeah, the nice thing about it, obviously, also is that people can, you know, you you've told us before on the show, you can you can own a, a Kruger Rand, but you can also own uh, there are there are smaller denominations that you can get. You guys also sell sold platinum and silver, which are really good investments too. Um, so people must go and check out your website. Yeah, um, thanks for having us. It's been a good ride so far. We've got uh, shops around the country, online store, mm-hmm. and some really smart uh, salespeople and uh, experts in coins. So whatever you like, whatever you want to start with, we've got someone there to help you. And uh, we want to spread the word of gold uh, as often as we can. The word of gold, I love that. No, it's absolutely <laughs> right. And and uh, there's something about having an actual gold coin in your hands that makes you suddenly feel like you, uh, you're you doing well. That's <laughs> the best feeling in the world. I can promise you that. All right, so one of the things that we've done over the last few months with uh, the South African Gold Coin Exchange and the Scoin Shop is that we've managed to, to find 
unbelievable collections of all kinds of weird things. We've spoken to people who've got, you know, just a few things. Some people who've got incredible collections that really should be in a museum. And I keep thinking that, you know, there are so many collections still to be discovered. You brought up in a meeting the other day, and I mentioned this just now in the introduction, that you also wanted to talk about the dark side of collecting because here we are going, oh, that's really nice. You know, you've got 500 pairs of shoes like Imelda Marcos. But what about these people who are trading sometimes in the, in the, on the dark web or in the underground in things that you're actually not allowed to trade in? And we often hear stories about buried treasure or about, you know, sunken ships where they found a chest full of gold that the pirates took in the 1600s. These things are real, though. They're actually happening. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt if you read the news uh, or, or, like you said, you'll you'll see some sort of a historical moment happening, like a, a war. Um, there's some army uh, or journalists or, or sort of people running behind the scenes who can go in and cover um, historical pieces of uh, like incredible value and they're yeah. just sitting underground. They might not actually be in that uh, museum. They could actually be um, being held up on a, a plinth at the bottom of the, uh, of the desert. And, and these are the kinds of things that people will do whatever it takes to, to take it and yeah. to hide it and to sell it or try to sell it. Um, we've seen some of these items being put on auction and, uh, you know, big uh, auction houses like Bonhams or Christie's or uh, Sotheby's, they have to do a lot of homework to yeah. say, well, this is beautiful, this is real, but where did it come from? And, uh, you know, there's been cases about uh, seven, eight years ago where there was a, a steely, I, I don't know how you pronounce it. Yeah, a steel, um, a, a steel. I'll actually put a picture of it up. But, but before we get to that, I mean, I want to speak about that particular example because when I saw the pictures, I was like, sure, if I had lots and lots and lots of money, I would pay whatever it took to have that. It's, it's, yeah. it's one of the most ancient things that you will find that's human, and we'll get to it in a second. But this sounds like Indiana Jones, you know, and I can't help yeah. thinking of when, you know, the opening scenes of, I think it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he's that little gold idol that's on a, on a plinth in this underground uh, like cave, and he puts the bag of sand down and he grabs it, and then this rock starts rolling towards him. I mean, it's the most, everybody has a little bit of a treasure hunter in them. And we all wonder if one day we might be able to find some beautiful historical artifact or some priceless object. And they are finding them all over the place. They discovered here in South Africa not so long ago. You know about this, Rail. The, um, the, the, the treasures of Mapungubwe, where you, there was gold that had been hammered into objects. Uh, there was a little rhino. These are, these are the most beautiful things. And this is right on our own doorstep where nobody was, was looking. Uh, and there are treasures out there to be discovered. Sure. I mean, we all start as little kids. Maybe it's um, toys that you put aside somewhere in your house or on the beach. You'll go and uh, find the best seashells. So it's in our nature to collect things and to uh, hoard. And as you get older, maybe these treasures turn into other things like people or <laughs> finding the perfect 
uh, girl or guy or um, if a a range of uh, sneakers comes out, you maybe want the limited edition one. Or if there's a a thrift store and you find a jacket that you've thought, wow, this is cool, but but maybe there's more value to that jacket or the pair of shoes that is sentimental, but also underlying it's always like, wow, this – is worth a lot this is going to i'm going to sell this so i'm going to keep mm. this and and that treasure hunting uh, ideologies is, is true i think we all have it inside of us definitely definitely all right so this is a this is a sumerian steel an ancient sumerian steel that you were talking about just now or assyrian i think it might even have been but this is just the bottom half of it because the, the top half has gone missing and this thing they tried to trade this uh, on the market right yeah, on a public market. Now, I had to Google the uh, pronunciation of steel or steely. <laughs> yeah. I got steely. I just wanted to make sure that uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny word to pronounce. Yeah. Um, but these things pop up. You know, the auction house is doing their best. They think everything is legitimate and it might be. But then the roots behind it could be, a, a, you know, a Syrian um, – uh, theft that took place a year or two before. And uh, Barnum's, the uh, auction house who had this on, they had listed it for about a million dollars, just a wow. piece of rock. Um, they had to take it off, and they claimed to say that they needed to uh, study it further. And uh, <laughs> there's also been some South African artworks that have been taken off Barnum's. There was once a front cover picture the yeah. front cover of the whole catalog, that picture, that artwork was fake. And, you know, oh, these oh. things make the the auction house look bad. But, you know, fakes and uh, forgeries are really easy to do. I mean, if you're professional enough and like you see there, the theft of something, you know, it's all about KYC or, or, so, or go and find out what, where that item is from. Apparently that that's the Syrian steel that we put up just now. This thing is um is is incredible. It was a broken stone slab which I showed you a picture of just now, but imagine if you're driving and you're listening and you can't see the actual picture. It's basically the bottom half of what would have been a king. Uh so you see his feet and his uh his his uh, his his sort of lower um lower body. And then there's a whole lot of cuneiform writing, which is the kind of writing that they used to they used to do on tablets and 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 you know uh, clay. Uh, they used to use it as their major form of communication. They used it for accounting. They used it for language, everything. And cuneiform is these little. Uh, they, they look like little Y-shaped um, markings, and depending on how many you've got going left, right, up, down, that was the whole language of the of the Assyrians. And apparently, it contains a curse in cuneiform, which would fall on anyone removing it from its site. And it was suspected of being looted from eastern Syria at an unknown date. The top half of the slab has been in the British Museum since the 19th century. Bonham says that the piece was withdrawn for further study, as you mentioned, Rail. But this is the kind of thing that a collector would go crazy for. I mean, if they were able to sell it, they probably would have been able to make way more than a million dollars, right? Absolutely. Um, There's a brilliant show now on Disney called uh, Moon Knight. And oh, yeah. uh, if anyone likes uh, Egyptian history or 
the gods of Egypt or anything. This really speaks for it uh, to the next level. It's a stunning show. And this idea of tracing and going back and the archaeology of it. Imagine if you were so wealthy that you didn't have to go to Egypt and uh, bring your little brush and spade and you just bought it yeah. uh, in the comfort of your home and and your home becomes this like a thousand few thousand year old uh, legacy i mean these are for wealthy people for extreme collectors of artifacts and also there might be a competition between a museum and a wealthy person who yes. finds a thrill of getting something that the museum can't I wonder, I wonder, there's no way to know for sure what kinds of things are held in private collections because some collectors are very secretive about what they've got. I mean, we have approached a number of people over the course of Collectomania and some of them have said, look, I do have a collection. I'm very proud of my collection. I love it, but I don't think I want anyone else to know about it. Sometimes it involves, you know, some very, very priceless work of art which hangs in their house and they just don't want people to know that they've got it. Uh, for security reasons. But sometimes, who knows? It might be because there are museums looking for that thing. I mean, there are, there are all those treasures, Rail, that were stolen during the, the Second World War by the Nazis. And there are still families all over the world that are actually fighting either Switzerland, where they were a lot of them were stored away in Swiss bank accounts, um, or Germany themselves, or like the descendants of the Nazis who have these works of art. You know, they were especially with Jewish families during the Second World War who lost priceless things because they just had to leave in a hurry get the hell out some of them obviously didn't get out but some of that stuff was just seized by the nazis yeah uh, it's a it's a big one i mean the amount of stuff that is sitting in the swiss banks right now uh, underground there could be just untold fortunes with no traceability no confirmation of the wow. original owner it's quite a sad thing, but also these items can't be uh, sanctioned or pulled out just because uh, they're there and they have someone else's name on it. Yeah. Um, so it's a sad thing. Um, yeah, I was, I was that, that chase. I was reading yeah. about that, that uh, supposedly the last Da Vinci painting, um, which is called, what is it? It's, it's, it's basically um, – a portrait supposed to be a portrait of Christ that has actually been bought by the Saudi crown prince and it's on his yacht. Um, it's on the wall in his yacht. Now, <clears throat> I would think that that's quite dangerous considering that a yacht could hit some rocks and that could be the end of that painting. But apparently it's one of the most expensive paintings ever bought. And, uh, and that's the one that he decided to buy for his private collection. And we only know about that because he actually admitted that he had it. Uh, let's just talk so, about, let's talk about ancient Egypt because you mentioned Moon Knight, which a friend of mine said, I've got to watch. Um, Tutankhamun is probably one of the most famous pharaohs, not because he was a particularly impressive pharaoh, but because we found all his treasures. Um, you know, Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon discovered these in the 1920s and it became like a sensation all over the world, obviously because you had these solid gold funerary masks, treasures, things that were three and a half thousand years old that were pulled out of a place that obviously the only tomb in the Valley of the Kings that wasn't broken into by thieves over thousands of years. But there was some Tutankhamun stuff, wasn't there, that, that was stolen from the Louvre? Yeah, so... Um Funny enough, uh, the Louvre, they opened up in uh, Abu Dhabi uh, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. There's only two Louvre museums in the world. 
And what was amazing to find out is that the the ex-president of the Louvre uh, back in about 10 years ago, his name is Jean-Luc Martinez, mm-hmm. he was, was charged with uh, assisting in the trafficking of some of the most incredible artworks from the Middle East, from Egypt, and to bring them to the Louvre. I mean, this guy, he had everything in the world. He was the uh, the president of the whole of all the genuine art in the world, and he went and he transferred these objects to the Abu Dhabi Louvre. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, these things are—it's uh, unbelievable that he would do such a thing. Um, but that's a little dark oh. side of uh, the moon. Let me just show everybody here. Um, here's here's what it looks like. This is again a, to the untrained eye, just a piece of rock with some, some carvings on it. But this is actually from the time of Pharaoh Tutankhamun. I mean, it's incredible. This is a granite steel which has been inscribed with his seal. Um, so that's how you know round about what dynasty it came from. But imagine. The, the, the curator or the president of the museum actually being involved in the trafficking of these goods. Crazy, right? Crazy. I mean, it's always about that thrill of the highest form of anything. And oh, wow. It could be the, the, the museum owner. And, you know, I want to get into the dark side and, and the, uh, the hiding part of this. And, and art is, <clears throat> you don't really hide art. You get to enjoy it. There's utility to it. But there are a lot of people who buy things to hide things. Now, mm. this isn't a talk show on SARS or VAT or tax, but the idea is that you can buy these things. You know, why would a billionaire buy a $100 million painting like a, the Andy Warhol that went uh, sold a, a couple of weeks ago with Marilyn Monroe? I think it was $150 million is that these people would have had to pay this money to the tax man. So this is the way of paying money for art, and they can keep the art in their house, and they could donate it back to a museum and get the tax back. And these are the smart things about collecting high-value items. And uh, as far as gold, you know, there are certain restrictions to uh, FICA and SARS and what you can move in and out of the country. But at a grand scale, these are the kinds of things you, you need to understand. Is There's a reason why someone bought a $100 million painting. Yeah. It's not entirely for enjoyment. Or, uh, and that's why the price sometimes doesn't matter. Are there, the are there people who've, um, who've left the country with like lots of gold? I can imagine because it's Krugerrand so much of the time, you must have heard stories. I mean, I'm sure that there are stories all over South Africa of like some woman who's got like, I don't know, 10 kilos of gold on her as she's going through the checkout and the check-in at the airport and like landing on the other side. And she's like, no, I wear this all the time. How much can you actually, how much can you take through the airport? So if it's an actual Krugerrand, there are limits uh, imposed by the South African Reserve Bank. Uh, Some say, or it's likely to be one Krugerrand per passport. So that's if you've got a family of five, you can take five Krugerrands out, which is not a lot of money in some cases, but in others it could be a, a new fresh start of life. But the idea is that you cannot just take a briefcase or, a, a, you know, raw gold or, or, or jewelry. I mean, jewelry is one thing, but uh, there was a story last year about some guys bringing some gold bars from here 
to Dubai and they yeah. got caught and they, that. they're in big trouble. Um, so the Krugerrands, you need to declare it with SARS. You need to tell them this is how many I'm taking. It can be in your discretionary allowance. You can apply for more. You should just be responsible about it. You you should not just take a tube of uh, 20 Krugerrands, which is like 600,000 rand or more, and just slip it up in your pocket or somewhere else with, <laughs> with some Vaseline, you've got to be really careful. Right? Um, oh, well, there, there go my plans for my, my trip to Tuscany. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, so it, it falls into the realm of what's right and legal. Mm-hmm. But there are other coins um, that have different consequences, like a, a, a Sammy Marks ticky, a felt point, a burger's point, any of the South African ZAR coins. It might have a, a gold value of five or ten thousand rand, but the collectible value could be in the millions. Wow! Uh, like a Sammy Marksiki, you can put it in your pocket. You you know the 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 guy at the airport says this is cool. You say yeah, cool, thanks, and then you could auction it off there in England or Germany or Switzerland for uh, millions of dollars. Sure. So it's just like art, you know, but coins. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that I, I, I would in any way endorse people doing criminal things, but I just hate the fact that governments all over the world are trying to get their hands on everybody's money. And there could be clever investments, and we know that very rich people do this with their money in order to keep it out of the hands of dirty politicians. They sometimes find clever ways of getting money from country A to country B without anybody knowing. What about Fabergé eggs? Now, this is something I love. I actually managed to, at some point, like uh, a couple of years ago, there are still factories in Limoges, I think, in, in, in France, where they, where they make modern-day Fabergé eggs. But the famous ones are the ones that were made for the Russian czars. They used to give them as Easter presents to their families. You know, to the you know the daughter would would get a a magnificent Fabergé egg for a birthday or for or for you know some other special occasion, and these things are worth an absolute fortune. They've been traded, you know, for hundreds of millions in some cases. Uh, they're full of jewels. They some of them are, are huge. They're like this big, and they've got clocks in them and all kinds of other things. And then some of them are small enough that you could put them in your pocket and just go through the airport and no one would know you put them on a little chain around your neck but um apparently there are some russian oligarchs who have come into the possession of these things and now it's become a bit of an issue with the russia ukraine war right yeah so um these oligarchs uh, would have received these over many years with a similar uh, i wouldn't call it money moving technique but they would see more value in owning a few million dollar Fabergé egg than having the cash uh, because it becomes uh, nobody knows anything about it, untraceable. And then they would donate them or put them on uh, at a museum. And then if you're an oligarch at the moment, you're really running around the world looking for a place to keep things. And some of these uh, Fabergé eggs are being held and sanctioned and uh, these guys can't get hold of them anymore. Uh, which is cool for the the museum, but uh, these guys are really wow. running all over the world to look after. So actually, that um, that Da Vinci painting on the yacht is actually a bit smarter than you think. Yeah, um, you're right. You know, it, 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 that could be his uh, 
gateway out of everything. Yeah, I mean, because let's just look at these Russian oligarchs. The reason that they're running around the world trying to find a place to store cash or to store value is because there are sanctions that have been brought against them. I mean, poor old Roman Abramovich's yacht is stuck somewhere. He can't take it anywhere. He can't sell it. He can't you know, pass it on to anybody. Because, I know shame, but I mean, at the same time, if you've, <laughs> if you've amassed a fortune uh, and, and then the governments of the world or Vladimir Putin, in this case, decides to invade the Ukraine, suddenly something that you put maybe hundreds, maybe even billions, hundreds of millions, billions into is suddenly stuck and it's not yours and it's not worth anything. Now, you know, we've all lost some money somewhere. We've all, we talked about fraud just now, Leanne, at seven o'clock. Mm. And how many people get defrauded all the time? Maybe you've, you know, you took your, your, your engagement ring off once to wash your hands and you forgot it in, in some place. We've all, we know that, that feeling. Imagine losing a, mm. like, you know, billion dollar painting or, or something like a Fabergé egg. So these guys have to look after this stuff. So, Rel, tell us just quickly, in South Africa, um, what, what exactly is the rule around people who, you know, these guys who go into these illegal mines and they pull out some gold or whatever. What are, what are the rules around that? Do you know what the, what the actual, you know? So, um, you know, no, um, uh, cover my liabilities, my liabilities sure. just, but the, uh, the idea is, is that, um, any unwrought gold, uh, doré gold, which is like a mixture of uh, other types of metals and gold, like an ugly-looking bar, mm-hmm. you can't really trade it in South Africa. The the zama zamas, the 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 type of illegal mining, and these nuggets of gold are, are not allowed. You can't buy them. You can't sell them. As far as like a a professional institution goes, yeah. um, the idea is that any gold bar in South Africa must be created and minted by the Rand refinery Mm -hmm. in the South African mint. And there's a VAT component, which makes it even more official and part of the government. And this gold bar is like a uh, confirmed and uh, numbered and it's there and it's Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And these sort of wrought gold bars that maybe look a bit ugly, they little like it's called a cast bar, those can't be freely traded in South Africa. And uh, that's why the most official type of gold ownership would be a Kruger Rand, right. because it's like a through the system, everybody knows what it is, and you sort of, you stay in kosher. <laughs> and if somebody calls us and says, hey, I got x kilograms of gold and i say cool show me a photo and it's usually a nugget or a piece of something like that i say no we we don't want to touch that yeah sorry about that i mean Um, there's obviously there is there's intrinsic gold there that's worth some money but you don't want to get into the trouble of 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 what uh you know where did you get well it's illegal yeah yeah, it's illegal to own unwrought gold in Mm. south africa that's uh, simple. So let's just talk for a second about fakes and forgeries, because there's a lot of that going on, too. They say that there are over 40 million counterfeit watches in the world. So for all you know, these people who we've spoken to in our collections, um, they're obviously quite smart about this. But there might be other people who get caught out and then you buy a, w- a watch that you think is worth you know, 50,000 rand and it ends up being a fake or a forgery. How often do you guys encounter this? Because obviously people come to you with questions. So I'll, I'll get into the coins, but first on the watches, uh, Adrian from uh, 
luxury time. These guys know what is fake and what isn't straight away. The only right. way you know about a fake is if you see enough real ones. And uh, the, the, the fake watch market, I don't think it's really about people trying to deceive someone who wants a real one. Mm. It's more about how big the market is and how people can't afford a 100,000, 200,000 watch. They'll get one for 5,000. And these so-called super fakes or, or replicas, one for one, uh, you know, these are like incredibly beautifully designed. You cannot tell the difference between a Patek Philippe, that uh, Tiffany, that blue dial, blue Tiffany dial that was sold for like 90 million rand on auction, or you could get one for about 10,000 rand that looks 100% the same. And it's sure. it's sort of like you can enjoy it and like anyone can collect anything they like. But the purist, the real watch guy says, oh, no, you know, you're not, you're not playing. To, the, the, I read something that said fake uh, fake people wear fake watches. <laughs> and and I, I don't know if that's totally right. Some people might just enjoy it. And um, uh, the, the crossover between putting a fake in the hands of a, uh, a real watch person, I think that is sort of a, a, an agreement. Like you stay in your lane and we'll stay in yours. Just a friendly warning. Don't ever take a fake watch to a real watch maker, like a real shop that that mm. fixes real watches. They'll see you from five meters away. They'll say, that's fake. I'm not touching it. So mm. just find your local watchmaker if you ever need help or throw it away and buy a new <laughs> one because it would probably be That's amazing. Cheaper. All right. So we've only got a couple of minutes here, but I do want you to talk about the fake coins and the forgeries because there's a lot of that that goes on as well. And people buy stuff yeah. sometimes online. Um, you know, they buy things on eBay, for example, and a lot of that stuff is just bullshit. Yeah, um, you know, we use uh, two of the biggest grading companies in the world, NGC, PCGS. NGC is the numismatic guarantor company. They confirm the value, the, 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 the scale, the confirmation, the uh, provenance of that coin. And we trust these grading societies to look after us. Right. Uh, but these coins like a Sammy Marks Tiki, you know, uh, Sammy Marks was able to go into the mint in the late 1800s and press his own coin as a favor from Paul wow. Kruger. And he pressed these coins. He made about 215 of these coins. <laughs> and these coins now, I mean, there's probably 20, 30 of these that have been graded and are still in good condition. And, you know, two, three million rand for a 2,000 rands worth of gold is very, very possible. But at the same time, because it was so scarce and popular, people started making forgeries of it. So uh, when you when somebody says, I've got a Sammy Marks ticky, you've got to do a lot of homework before you really take it in and buy it. And, and that's the difference is always speak to a professional, uh, a friend, uh, a, a dealer in that industry, whether it's sneakers to coins or anything in between. These people will spot the differences very, very quickly. So I've just put a, a picture up on the screen of a Sammy Marks ticky. It's usually got the date and then it's got um, a, a wreath on the obverse and then on the reverse. It's got Paul Kruger's profile. Um, and, and you say how, how many of these were made? Uh, there was 215 of these Phenomenal. that have been graded. 
I think they made a few more than that. No, 215. Um, and an, an, a non-graded one could be a bit uh, cheaper, maybe four or 500,000 Rand. Yo. But these high-graded, perfectly wow. conditioned ones could be two, three million Rand at the moment. Unbelievable. And someone, someone somewhere in South Africa might have one of these just lying around. Um, I hope they do. Yeah, sure, they sure. do. <laughs> well, and if must you look after them, if you find one, and uh, yeah, I mean, lucky you. You can you pay off your yeah. bond. <laughs> you yeah, come your and sell it, sell it to us, and we'll we'll look after it. And um, you know, do what you need to do, but always do your homework. Love what you yeah. do. Whatever you collect, you know, when you're passionate about it, buy what you like. Don't buy what you think will make you the most money. Yeah. And uh, do your homework. Always look for help and collecting is fun in all shapes and sizes well that's why we love having you on and i'm really happy we got to scratch the surface of this uh, dark side of collecting because it's something that i think a lot of us are interested in but as uh, we've discussed a number of times before and i love the advice that you've just given now like buy the things you love collect the things you love that's what this show is all about and we're thrilled to have uh, rail denby back on rail uh, we'll talk to you soon and people buy gold i mean i'm not giving you financial advice here but if we'd listened to rail a couple of months ago we'd all be a lot happier than the people who bought just bitcoin keep buying gold. yeah there we go and thank you go. guys for your time mate. always lovely keep to have on you on man. lovely to see you thanks so cheers. much rail all right cheers everybody cliffcentral.com